0: Sri Guru Vaisnava Guru Parampara ki jai Gol Bhaktabindaki jai Gol Premanandi So good evening everyone Janesh Welcome Come a long distance So you get some rest today after the long weekend Any questions? Yes?
1: Uh, you imagine one of uh, the lectures during the festival, how um, when we come to Krishna consciousness, then we get some knowledge, you said that the truth is bitter, but we have to undergo some kind of suffering, and that will will give fruits in the future. And I was thinking, um, Shri Maharaj, said that times, he, he, he used to say that when we come to Krishna Consciousness, then um, we think or we, we feel that we risk everything and we will gain nothing, and then we change that. We're not really risking that much, but we're not sure about the gain, and at the end we're risking nothing, gaining everything. And um, So I was wondering how does it relate to different stages of
0: Well, I think these are just uh, more general um, ideas. I presented the idea that truth hurts, which isn't a common English saying. Truth hurts. Hmm? Because if we, obviously, if we're living in falsity, then the truth is confrontational Hmm? and it's painful. To come out of it, I mean, it doesn't apply in all instances. The truth is painful, but um, it is a common English saying, and so it has its application at times. In our our practice, we realize we're not where we thought we were, something like that, or we have to undergo um, the uh, the pain of uh, acknowledging our falsity and. Uh, and various motives that becomes apparent are driving our practice, and so on and so forth. So, I think it's more of a a, a general statement, um, and it applies to the world in general because it's if the world is based on a false understanding, hmm, um, then and it's driven by that, which is the case, then truth is not going to be too too popular in that world and um it's sometimes painful not being in the popular sector <laughs> um, so it has application in a, in a general sense i don't uh, think it necessarily applies to all stages because in the beginning also krishna consciousness can be very sweet and and, and uh, there there seems to be no no pain hmm? Till we figure out what it really is and what the what the, what the task at hand is and and so forth. And that, it, that there's more scrubbing them and mopping them than there is, you know, hearing and chanting. Perhaps required some hard work to get out of your head and into your. Got to get into your body to get out of <coughs> your body, so to speak, and uh, into a heart of, of service to replace an enjoying ego with a serving ego. Hmm. Some heavy lifting. So, uh, uh, and then with regard to the other idea, Pujipa Chiromash used to like to say that in the beginning it will appear that there's much to risk and questionable what I will gain. So, we hear from the scriptures about the ideal. It's uh, kind of an invisible idea to some extent, obviously, it is visible and embodied in sadhus. but um, And we talk about them as if they're people who are, you know, uh, extraordinary and we feel that we're not. So... It seems uh, like a, a a goal unattainable perhaps for ourselves and and to to pursue that, well then we're risking the ground that we stand on the reputation that we have or whatever may be the case to whatever, we, whatever extent we pursue it. so that's a, per- a perception. but if we if we hear from um, the right sources so we may get the courage to. Uh, give up what we think we have, only to find out that that's really, that 's really the if in the philosophy courses this is nothing it's not ours in the first place we don 't have anything, and uh, it will be taken away regardless by material nature. Better to give it to Krishna than have nature take it away from us, so to speak. so you come in the full circle and then you realize that what you what you gain is everything it 's the subjective world. As I put it, and the objective world it was nothing; it was here today and gone tomorrow, and so forth. So, I don't think it necessarily applies to the to the different stages. I would say, but I would I guess I would say that all of those ideas apply to the the early stages of sadhana before um, before nishtha. <clears throat> When there's ups and downs and turns and 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 things hurdles can arise that can throw us off course and so forth. That's part of the course, the learning curve, as I as I put it. When we come to Nishta, then as I have said, the road becomes straight, and it's it's not narrow either. It's wide. It's it's full of um, 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 numerous ways of understanding different verses, all of which are correct, and and so on and so forth. And before attaining Nishtha, the, the road tends to be curved, and it may look as if we're not making progress, we're going backwards, and, and we may go off the course and come back on and so forth. But it also looks very narrow, and that's part of the reason why it seems like we go off course, because we have a narrow conception of what the path is. Mm. It's actually quite broad, quite generous, mm the road to Krishna is very generous and there's so many examples of the generosity of Krishna Mahaprabhu himself is the most generous manifestation of, of uh, Krishna the uh, Mahabodhanaya avatar. Sri Rupa described him so we have a narrow understanding of it and we, we think others aren't on it and only I'm on it for example and, and um, when we come to, to uh, Tanishka, then, it's, uh, the road is straight which is encouraging and it's broad which is disconcerting in a way, but only for one who requires that uh, not thinking, hmm, wants someone to think for them, then it's disconcerting. If you learn, you have to think for yourself. Of course, when you arrive at Nishta then you, you know how to think spiritually. Hmm? And so the fact that the road is wide hmm, is also encouraging. Hmm. so, at that stage then there's there are really no hurdles that can can't be dealt with that hmm? can't be uh pushed aside hmm? and there's some real tangible sense initiate the practice is such that that material propensities seeds of material desire while present cannot manifest because. Constantly being flooded with engagement in bhakti, so you take a seed and you pour water on it constantly it's never going to sprout hmm? so um, so as a result is there's no there's no distractions. The work at hand still involves some cleansing of the heart hmm? but proportionately with the cleansing some deeper experience comes more readily It's encouraging when you come to ruchi then the experience is, is, on, is ongoing. Hmm. So, all of that I would say, in the way you want to, you're want you asking about it, would apply to uh, the stages, the basic anishta bhajana kriya, or even, even before that, hmm. one's thinking of taking the path, it's a risk, what will be the gain, and so forth. Does that help? Yeah. What else? Um, well.
1: One question I have is, it's often talked about that there's a spiritualization of the senses in the sadhaka-deha and I'm wondering what exactly that means does that mean that the senses go beyond uh, their material capacity
0: and how does it happen yeah that's a great mystery mystery of the Hmm? sadhaka-deha Mahaprabhu told Sanatan Prabhu that when you're initiated your body becomes chidanandamoy full of Hmm. and um what it means really in a sense philosophically speaking is that our idea perhaps of material and spiritual is um is not very accurate we think this is material and this something intangible visible or whatever is spiritual hmm? Something concrete is material, something that's not concrete is spiritual, which is kind of in a real basic sense how people think in general uh, often about the spirituality. But um, but really, as uh, Shastra describes, uh, the difference between material life and spiritual life is that in material life, we serve our senses. Hmm? And so a conception of self arises from that,
2: hmm?
0: or is tied to that. hmm? We get impressions from the senses, and the mind makes determinations about the senses of good and bad, happy and sad. And we—that's the world we live in. hmm? And so, uh, to serve one's senses—that is material life. To take the same senses and serve the serve well to. I should say to use one to to allow one's senses to be engaged in bhakti. Hmm? to allow bhakti. Bhakti comes and makes herself the opportunity of, of bhakti available to us. Bhakti bhaktia bhakti comes from bhakti. And then some effort is involved when we take advantage of the opportunity. So to what extent we do, then really our senses are being engaged by bhakti, and rishikena rishikesha savanam and sarvopadiva nirmuktam tatparatvena nirmalam. All the, 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 the upadis, I'm American, I'm Indian, male, so forth, these are all designations. They're all unraveled hmm, in the context of using the senses to serve um, rishikesh, as, as Nard's verse goes. The master of the senses this is one of the verses that Rupa Goswami draws from to make his own definition of bhakti, utam bhakti. Anya bhakti rutam. Um, so, the very same, or it would appear, hmm, the same senses uh, used for material sense gratification relating to sense objects for a world. Of one's mind, hmm? same sense is used in relation to sense objects for another conception. I'm uh, the das of Krishna and in Krishna's service arguably makes for a spiritualized, spiritualized body. Hmm? Prabhupada used to call it, compare it to a gold bar and a gold-plated box: the citadea and the sadakadeha. Hmm? It Was his comparison because the sadhaka deha it has to uh, pass, so to speak, hmm? right? Hmm? Um, the siddha deha doesn't, but the sadhaka deha functions like a like a like a spiritual body for all intents and purposes, because the spiritual body is one in which the senses are fully engaged only for the satisfaction of Krishna. Hmm? so we call it a gold-plated box and that's as a nice analogy i think to help us understand at the same time there's also a place for the idea that the actual sadaka becomes immortalized and 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 therefore when the acharya passes when a Mahatma passes from the world, the uh, system is not to cremate the body, hmm, because it's a sacred body, hmm, because it's been fully utilized only in in, in the service of Krishna. So the samadhi is formed, and he's placed in the samadhi with various procedures and so on and so forth, and that becomes a worshipable place. And now with photography and so forth, we have the picture, and we continue to keep the picture, for example, in the sacred place around our altar, and... And so you see, there's an eternal space for that. Hmm? Hmm? They, they they're worshiping that form, and and uh, and then it's sometimes thought that that there's like we have Rupa, Sanatana, Goswami, they're the example of Mahaprabhu's associates who very much um, teach by their example the sadhana, hmm? as opposed to many other associates that that didn't do that. Um, and that's one of the reasons the relative reason why they're so important to us the other reason is is the what is their position in the lila and so forth that makes them so their contribution so significant in 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 in, in gaur lila their position in krishna lila i mean makes them important in gaur lila but we are taught that the goswamis appear in gaur lila hmm? i mean they are in gaur lila in the prakat lila the manifest lila but in the nitya lila and but they look just younger, something like that. So there's some idea that the sadhaka is fully engaged in Krishna's service, therefore has a spiritual character to it, and 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 beyond that, even as I say, it has a place in eternity for remembering that form is uh, is uh, upon remembering. And uh, it will will draw draws to uh, from the temporal to the eternal and and more and then third like I was saying with the picture and so forth uh, and um, often even in mantra the mantra often describes the fu- the function of the acharya in his Satakadeha. deha
2: hmm?
0: rather than in his citadeha. there may be another mantra for that so so. Through mantra, through picture, the, the sadhika daya hmm. has um, an eternal presence, and thirdly, um, it, uh, it it has capacity to manifest in a, in a recognizable way. I want to say, in 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 gorlila. So this is a great, uh, kind of a transubstantiation or something like you have in, in Christianity where the water becomes the wine and, uh, and you thought, it seems like wine to me or water to What, what do they, they take the bread and the wine and now oh, it just transforms into the body of Christ. And you say, well, it tastes like bread and wine to me. Um, but those who are faithful, I, I guess in the tradition and so forth, they, they think otherwise and they have a different experience and they bow down and take the, the bread and the wine. And uh, it used to be they'd make this little thing. Now I think they actually give you some crumbs and wine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so how is bread and wine the body and blood of of, of of the Christ? So They call it transubstantiation. So to use a Western theological term maybe to help get a handle on that those of us who may be familiar with some Western theological concepts um, that may be useful some kind of transubstantiation the substance transforms. Hmm? And um, and the fact is that uh, this is the sadhaka is like a meeting place between the temporal and the eternal. And the deity is no different. Hmm? So the Igra is a particular manifestation of, of, of the Godhead. Um, and there are rituals involved for um, uh, establishing the deity. and um, And really the deity comes from the heart of an acharya who establishes the deity with the appropriate rituals and so forth and then we worship the deity. Some people just see stone, hmm, idol, statue and think you're crazy for dancing in front of a statue and so forth. But uh, devotees have a different eye with which they see. They have the eye that they derive from hearing which uh, from which faith comes and then they apply themselves according to the the texts and the teachings of the Achars and they have a different experience and they are starting to live in the consciousness world where you know stones move and talk and so forth um, and so uh, it seems it's interesting because it seems it's a little easier for devotees to um, catch the idea that we're talking about in relation to the deity. Hmm? The the idea that the Vaishnava hmm, and this is very central to Godia Vaishnavism is more divine than the deity. It's difficult for people to catch that. Hmm? We can explain that you wouldn't worship the deity if you hadn't heard from Vaishnava. So put two and two together hmm, where Krishna is more present and so forth. But Because the deity stands in one place on the altar and the doors are open and closed and there's always some commotion going on, you know, celebration when the door is open, but the Vaishnava mingles more amongst us and so forth, then there's it may be a little harder for some to to grasp the concept. But it's the same concept. Hmm? Same concept with the Dham. There's a meeting place. Same concept of the Prakat leela. Will manifest in this world. There's a combination of two elements there: the spiritual and the material meet. Hmm? Hmm. So this the very same idea, or the text, the book, hmm? the Bhagavad. It's just paper and ink, but if you approach it properly, you think quite differently. I always used to, it always used to strike me to see you know, sometimes, in some temples, sometimes in, in years gone by. Um, um, when I was in, in Prabhupada Iskan, um there would be some, maybe class, like a college class or something, that would come for a lecture about Hinduism, Krishna consciousness. And some of them would come with Bibles. Hmm. I, well, I remember one, I don't know where it was, but they came with their Bibles, some of them. So, it was some type of a Christian school, wanting to get education about other religions and so forth, and a number of them sat on their Bibles because you know we sit on the floor, so we offered Christians, but they sat on the Bible, and I just thought, God we how can you sit on the Bible you know it's like you know what are you getting out of it I mean if you're really getting something out of the book when um, when when we were uh, when I was serving in uh, in in New Dwarka in Los Angeles many years ago, uh, when I joined the mission, we didn't have the volumes of Srimad Bhagavatam that you see today. We had some chapters of the Bhagavatam that had been paperback, small little, and you'd read from them, a class would be given from them. And um, we had hardbound Gita. We didn't have a hardbound Bhagavatam. That came later, but we had a full... Blue Edition, the edited edition from Macmillan, I believe it was, and we had a paperback. Teachings of Lord Chaitanya. but anyway, we, we were hearing from the Bhagavatam. This is the main, the main book of our tradition, and so forth, and and um, and then uh, one day the first six volumes of the Bhagavatam arrived. It was the <coughs> excuse me, the three volumes of the first canto, in Prabhupada's edition, two volumes of the second canto, and the first volume. Of the third canto, they arrived in Los Angeles, and um, and it was such a to me it was such an extraordinary occasion. Myself and my god brother we we he, he took me in 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 the morning, and I was the first, besides him, uh, and those involved in the press to see these beautiful editions of the Bhagavatam, which was just, you know, we'd heard about the Bhagavatam, we'd heard some chapters and so forth, and and uh, I had uh, developed a great affinity for the Bhagavatam to see these cantos, and they were done in very nice editions, materially speaking, which Prabhupada wanted, that they would be you know, done according to the standards of the times, and appropriately so, and that the words of Krishna as beautiful as they are, would be appropriately decorated and presented and so on and so forth. So it was just over overwhelming, the experience, to see the Bhagavatams. And he and I, Ramaswar and I, used to organize on Saturday for all of the community in Los Angeles to go out somewhere and distribute books to all the householders. So we would make plans who would go in what van and what car and we'd pack lunches for them and, and put books in the cars and, and, and so forth. And so... That was our service on Saturday morning, and then after that I would go out, after everyone else went out, and then I would go out um, by myself somewhere, usually, um, usually to the airport. But uh, well, um, but um, but we decided that morning that we would not give the Bhagavatam's out to everybody, because we thought they'd be all enamored by them and they wouldn't, you know, get around to selling any books. And so we, we didn't tell them, and we, our plan was when they came back in the evening, hmm, then we would you know, give a set of books to everybody or householders would buy them, whatever. And so um, we got everybody out, and, and then I already knew about them, so I took them out to sell. Hmm, and I went to the airport, and I think I saw like 30 of them or something, which was a lot of, lot of books at the time, but I was so... Like overwhelmed, I in those days I would sit down next to somebody and I had a suitcase, and, and then I'd ask him how they were doing. I'd open the suitcase and say, "Check this out." You know, I hand them the, the Bhagavatam. but I was so like enamored and uh, with such a spirit of reverence toward the Bhagavatam, that I took it out, you know, and I'd, I'd hand it to him and, and and I'd say, "Let me show you something." And he would reach for it, "Be careful," you know, <laughs> like this, and I hand it to him and, and I had so much, like, regard for the book that that's what sold the book. They just looked at me like, wow, we're going to go this that does that to somebody, you know? And I said, now when you take it home after they bought it. When, they take, when you take it home, be sure to put it in a, in a, you know, in a worshipable place. Don't take it in the bathroom, you know? And I, they thought I was crazy, probably, but, you know, I sold out of the books and then, then I came back to the temple and was uh, this long stretch from the 405 on Venice Boulevard to the all the way to the temple mm. and all the lights turned green one after another, another you another know. and uh, on the way to the, to, the, to the temple where I arrived and all the devotees were enamored by the books and I was I couldn't talk mm. I had gone into a trance and it was as if Krishna just took over the driving and you know, made sure the lights were all green <laughs> and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I arrived at the temple and Ramaswar look, took one look at me and he just went over and got the set of books for me, gave them to me and pushed me up. As I was a householder, I lived across the street. Hmm. So I went, went home and, and I set them down on the altar, took a shower and I and I performed arati for the Bhagavatam. And so this is the kind of Reaction you can get from these books. Hmm? So to sit on the Bible, it always struck me as like, what are you getting out of that book, really? Um, But it is, again, an example of what we're talking about. It's a meeting place between the temporal and the eternal. Hmm? And if it's approached on its own terms, that's what you'll experience. Hmm? The eternal, not the temporal, leaving the temporal. And so it is with the sadhakadeya, something like that. It's a meeting place. Hmm? So bhakti descends, and with the with a with significant bhakti makes ingress into our hearts from from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But when the, with a, with a significant increase uh, ingress of bhakti, which we call bhava bhakti, mm-hmm. when a ray of the sun of prema really dawns in the heart. Use Rupa Goswami's language: prema premasuryamsu premasuryama amsu surya of the sun. Mm. Array of the son of Prem coming in the heart, in the form of Sambit, Ladini, mm. and particular sense of identity in relation to Krishna is 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 dawning and so forth. Then this Bhava rides the mind mm. and the senses. Mm. Um, the example is given of. Uh, probably gave the example of the golden box. Another example that uh, is, is given is, and you probably heard this one, taking an iron rod. Let's say you took an iron rod and you put it in the fire. Hmm? So you put it in the fire long enough and if you touch someone with it, they won't think they got touched by iron. They'll think they got touched by fire. Hmm? And they'll be right. Hmm? So it takes on the qualities of the fire. So the body takes on it's not driven. Daivim prakritim ashrita. So, this is the Gita. Mahatma to the great souls, Krishna said, they're moving in this world under a different uh, influence. Da- he calls it daivim prakritim. Prakriti means like nature. Hmm? Daivim means divine. So we have material nature. It's not divine. And we have the divine nature. That means... Bhakti, the Swarup Shakti, Bhakti is of Swarup Shakti, the essence of the Swarup Shakti. So they're moving under that influence, hmm? um, not under the influence of material nature, which is the karmic influence, which is, perpetuates itself because when we see the sense objects as um, something to exploit for our conception of self. The only pr- person that will agree with the, that that's a reasonable policy is is the illusory self that you know made up the policy <laughs> uh, so yeah. the, the nature wants a payback for that you know she's not satisfied happy with that mm-hmm. so there's reaction that's the principle of karma you you, you take and then you oh you exploit and and so she has uh, she, she she wants to be paid back mm-hmm. she, she is meant to be used in the service of Krishna. So so there's a kind of a spiritualization that um, it takes place, and it's it's very practical, and it gives us a different idea of what's spiritual and material. It's not the difference between a concrete thing and an ethereal thing. Here we have a building. It's a temple. There's a building next door, and it's it's entirely different. Maybe many of the same... Um, elements involved in the construction and so forth, its makeup, but but the, the 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 consciousness behind it and what takes place there is is different. So this can help us perhaps understand that there's a spiritual world. It's it's subjective, but there's it's concrete within that. Krishna is like concrete ecstasy, mm? concrete suchit ananda mm? concentrated. Does that help? Yeah, you were you were talking about approaching Bhakti, the meeting place
2: between the eternal and the one
0: and own terms. Can you talk about how we can do that and what that means? How we can mm-hmm. approach, um, I guess, in the context, uh, the ingress of Bhakti on own terms without selfish motivation. Well, that's what we try to do. I mean, here's a learning curve, as I say. I mean, you, you, you if I say the book is a meeting place between the, the uh, temporal and the eternal uh, or the ephemeral and the concrete. The concrete now is is the subjective world and the ephemeral is the is the objective world. Hmm? Hmm. Because we say it's here today, it's gone tomorrow and what it really is what, is Vishnu Maya and so. But how to approach that sundium that conjunction is, is if I understand it's a question. In a way that you can draw from it what it's actually um, about. Hmm? But that's what we teach. I mean, it's, it's, there's, you know, the whole Bhagavad Gita is teaching that, the Bhaktirisamrita is the Bhagavatam is teaching that. Hmm? There's no you know, one silver bullet or something like that. You do it like this. It's what we do. It's a culture. Hmm? It's a culture. But uh, these kind of discussions, um, should be helpful. Hmm. And um, I guess I would say, in a word, with uh, we should approach with some regard. So the deity. We so, are told don't think the deity is a stone. So, and don't act like it's a stone. Hmm. And then it uh, won't look like a stone. If you, if, if you act like it's a stone, and he, okay, as you approach me, then I will reciprocate accordingly. Hmm? And um, so, Arche Vishnu-Shiradhi Gurushu, Naramati Vaishnavejati Bhuti. So it's uh, about the guru, about the Vaishnava, in that verse from the Purana also. In the same way, don't think the guru is an ordinary person. Don't think the Vaishnav belongs to the Varnashram system, hmm? which is a which is a system that... They, uh, it involves material designation Hm? no he's or she's in, in another um, uh, another world or is at the threshold of, of another world turning their back on such upadis such material designations so they should be regarded so healthy um uh regard a um, precaution like that and that should help to give us an eye to see when you have the eye to see then you're seeing so then you'll act if you see then you believe mm-hmm. so I think the Shastra says in an overriding sense to answer with a word to approach them with some 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 regard you, you take the theory and and um Apply it. Hmm. Bhagavatam is is uh, Vishnucharvitaqa says it's another. It's a it's a Vaikuntha planet hmm. in this in the world. Hmm. <laughs> you know, this is uh, this is mystical, but we are mystics, so that hmm. you could enter into the book. Hmm. He's basically you can go inside, live inside the book, and um, how that will show up. You know that that that, that's you're seeing everything from the perspective of the book, what it's talking about. You become this becomes your your food and drink, the Bhagwat discourse, and and so it's it's very practical. You you actually can live in the book, but you'll be standing there right before someone else, and if they don't understand the book, then they won't necessarily understand it. That's where you're living, and they think you're right there, Hmm? Um, like everybody else. So it's a a question of vision. Krishna appeared in the world and some people wanted to kill him. Obviously they didn't have the consciousness. So it's it's all about consciousness. Hmm. Um, And that, uh, and and training the mind and so forth. Hmm. So to try to see, to try to approach, as has been described in the text and from the saints themselves, follow that example. Some healthy uh, sense of regard is required. Therefore, we don't sit on the Bhagavatam. Hmm. Often in many circles, before the recitation of the Bhagavatam, there will be a puja of the Bhagavatam. They'll offer incense and chandan and flower. Hmm. chant mantra, then the Bhagavatam will be Opened and recited and so forth. These are nice practices. That help us to uh, enter into the the right uh, frame of mind for drawing from it. That's why we we pay our respect to the deity and so on and so forth. So we're doing that. Hmm? We're doing that. I I guess another another way to answer your question is with a philosophical eye. Hmm? You may not see in that way, hmm? but we are we are to, to train our, ourselves to see with a philosophical eye to think. So, with some tattva hmm? Hmm. we get what might be called spiritual intelligence, hmm? which is a, which is intelligence kind of directs. Right? It's a director hmm? among our actions, and so forth. So if we spiritualize our booty, our intelligence, hmm, then we will act according to that spiritual direction hmm, before we are acting in that way out of feeling and direct experience. Hmm, because we have faith that has come naturally in some experience, hmm, then we, we learn the way to kind of spiritualize our intellect, that we might enter into the world of spiritual experience. So that's another way to answer your question. That you see, with you learn to see with a philosophical eye, and and to retire the material way of seeing and thinking when it shows its ugly, you know, face hmm? in the form of a doubt, a thought, and the mind and uh it comes from the residue of your material existence and you 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 with a philosophical um mindset you dis- dispense with it and, and where is that going to take you you know then you already left that you know didn't help it's so just a residue of the past that it just comes up and but it presents itself as something new so, i mean it's like you get, you're smart enough You just go I, that was, i was there doing that, where that leads. I left there already. <laughs> I was already there once. Hmm? So it doesn't have any any place for me now. Hmm? You just play it out where it goes, where the doubt goes, hmm? where you end up. Hmm? So You're already dissatisfied there for 108,000 reasons. Hmm? <laughs> right, and they were good reasons. <laughs> that was very reasonable hmm? and scripturally supportable and so forth. So, in the context of our bhakti, then for a while there's this residue of thoughts, feelings, and so forth from that world, but we have to trace them out. They're from the other side, where I was already feeling discontent and for good reason. And so I just retire it. I identify it for what it is, and instead I think spiritually. I drive myself with my intelligence to think and act you know, from from a spiritual perspective, as I've learned, you know, from from the texts, so it's a kind of a training, this uh, in, in spiritualizing the intellect, hmm? and then everything follows from there. Does that help?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I was wondering if you could explain. Um, well, you have a few, like you know, you have a mission, you have a few projects,
0: and the book is coming. So, I was wondering, and you do some outreach and writing and stuff. So, I was wondering if you could explain your um, inspiration or intention for your, you know, doing what you do, your mission, or I guess like building projects for devotees or, you know, outreach into the public. I was wondering if you could explain kind of like what drives you to do with that, to do all this. Stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I'll be brief, but. Um, um I, um, I got involved in outreach because Prabhupada wanted it and because I figured I wasn't good at anything else. So I liked the teaching and he liked the idea of circulating it and I thought I have no education, no talent, never held a job or anything, so I mean, it's just, uh, I'll share this with other people. So, I used to take his books and go out and try to share them with people. Um, but very quickly, I also, and went on and I liked it too. I had some experience, and I and I, and I felt this is good, this is otherworldly. Other and so, um, and the more I got involved in that, the more I could see the the condition of people. Hmm? And that they didn't have to be like that, causing themselves misery at every step and so forth, and to know that little effort could change the course of their life was compelling to me. So I had uh, a sense of um, both of both compassion and also, well, uh, this is about serving my guru. He wants this, so you know, I'll, I'll do it. Hmm? There were other services I could have done, but as I said, I didn't think I was really fit for anything else. I didn't realize at the time that that was as dear to him uh, as, as as it was. Um, I picked the thing that I thought was uh, was for the unqualified people. <laughs> and I was one of them. So anyway, it turned out that the book distribution was very dear to him, outreach. At any rate, he was a very out, outgoing type of a person, and he did it because his Guru Maharaj wanted it, and that's he just latched onto to that and so he made his life out of that. So, so that's um, one side of it. Um, the, the other side is I always relished the books and the practices themselves and, and so forth. And um, and so when Prabhupada left and I met Pujapad Sridharamar, she was more introverted type of a person. And he um, and even um, suggested to us, this was a time to be a little more introspective. The disappearance of your guru from the world—what it, what it was he about? What does it mean that he came? What did he give, and so forth? And so, he opened a, a door for a more introspective type of um, practice than was, which was common in Iskon at the time. Iskon was more, much more oriented towards bringing in. New new people, hmm? and many people sold the books and, and never read them. I, and I was never like that. And those who associated with me weren't weren't like that either. But there was a an, an emphasis on outreach that almost went um, overboard, hmm? and um, and became counterproductive. Hmm? So. It was a welcome to have the perspective of And As I think back about it, I've commented to some devotees recently. Um, the fact is that in the months uh, that Prabhupada was approaching his disappearance, he, on more than one occasion, asserted that what he was concerned with was that we would preserve what he had established without being too concerned about expanding only. Hmm? probably didn't tell us, you keep opening more temples, and he talked about cooperating with other, about Gaudiya Vaishnavas, hmm? and uh, he uh, uh, asked other senior Vaishnavas to help them, educate them, hmm? teach them more, he said my only sin is that i've made so many unqualified disciples so what speak of the us then succeeding him hmm, should we just go out and make 10 million less qualified <laughs> disciples <laughs> uh you know so these were some of the ways in which he was reflecting on his mission and it was an explosion you know for a dozen years of going all over the world but even in the context of that years even before he's leaving at times he would say we have enough devotees now we should boil the milk you know concentrate it and go more deeply within the teaching and, and so forth make our devotees all more personally spiritually fit and so that 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 was um arguably his em- emphasis in the days of his you know approaching his departure you know try to keep together cooperate preserve what what was here you know and uh Unfortunately, uh, the devotees knew, in one sense, unfortunately, that 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 they had pleased him by outreach, and so they they just kind of tried to do that, and that became like everything. Um, and you know, I was very frustrated because I, Prabhupada personally told me, "Please come to Mayapur every year and spend one month with me, in Mayapur and Vrindavan. and um, and so I would you know live for that. Sometimes I would see him he would come to America. If, if possible, my service didn't interfere with it, and um, but I was sure to go there every year because he had he had told me to do that, and and then I would love to sit and hear his classes, you know, in Mayapur and Benar. And I would live for that. And then after his departure, the classes just became like this, you know, this like eh, and sell more books and yeah, i going to take over the world. And there was no like the philosophical content was really lacking. And the leading people were kind of competing with one another and, and trying to convince themselves that they were, you know, uh, um, maybe something more than that, that they were, which they thought they had to be, or something like that. And and so, just uh, expansion, expansion was was thought to be a measure of spiritual attainment. And that everything is, is just fine. It's expanding. And I wasn't, I wasn't like, that wasn't working for me. It's expanding. Um, yeah, new people are joining and so forth, but, um, but the people who are in here aren't being nourished the way Prabhupada would nourish us. I mean, Prabhupada was bringing out a whole 400-page book in every month. Where are those? Hmm. We had one a Then we had eleven. Why weren't we getting eleven books a month? You know, they, we had nothing to write about, nothing to say. Hmm? And it was always, you know, here's a new four hundred page book. What's he going to say here? You know, how many arms are they going to have? How many heads are they going? What kind of world are we going to? You know, so it was exciting, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, his comments and so forth on it. And none of that was happening. Hmm? I mean, they had made some effort after some time to bring out the Bhagavatam, but it, it, it was. Um, there were there were issues surrounding that made it uh, somewhat problematic and um, and so I was very uh disheartened and the opening of the door to hear from Shida was was kicked open by prophet himself and so at some point, I took advantage of that, and I found oh an oasis there of Philosophical insight, spiritual experience, which is like so obvious to me. Like I thought, well, here's the solution to all the problems. And but you know, not too many people were ready to, to listen. And they'd say, he has he sell books, you know? What's with them? You know, he's got some small temple over there, you know. And so I had the opportunity to have that kind of contrast. He wasn't doing the outreach. He wasn't extroverted, and and so forth. And he was deeply. Uh, spiritual, and so forth. and you know He would make points like that, that Gor, what did Gorkashor do? You know? He didn't sell any books. So these these move according to Krishna's uh, will, and so forth, how he wants to use them, and, and so forth. So, so um, then he asked me, I asked for some service, and he told me, he says, you know everything, Swami Masha has told you everything, Go and do something for him. And I'll be in the background. If you have any questions, you come and ask me. And so then we went forward and started this mission. And, um, and you know, that's not an easy task. And uh, and so um, I had to think about it in different ways, how I will do it. We had a certain standard of that in ISKCON that seemed viable, but I found trying to repeat that wasn't very viable. It was problematic. There were issues with that model, I thought, hmm, in time and circumstances in which we lived, for one. Um, And two, it took me a little time to come to this, and two, I I had... um, Thought from the very beginning, I had to make a literary contribution. Hmm? Um, that's more important than any kind of physical structure or facility. Hmm? And I would like to circulate the ideas of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in a way that were compelling, and the people would be attracted to that, those ideas, and on that basis come forward. Because I thought that, and they'll be coming forward on the, something that will they can uh, affirm firm foundation. So, I I had never written anything but a letter before, and not very many of those, so I began writing and and out of necessity. And those days, uh, ISKCON would not sell me Prabhupada's books to sell to the public. So, we weren't very popular for our truth. (laughs) Uh, Pursuing what we felt was was the truth. At any rate... um, at some point, I also felt that um, people are going here and there and initiating people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By this time, um, it was around, I don't know, 1998, 99, something like that. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I felt that uh the Gubinda Marsh was circulating, uh, the successor of Sridhar Maharaj and Orion Maharaj started to circulate and other people and some other missions had, had arisen, you know, out of the uh, out of the the fall of Iskon, so to speak, you know, and its lack of spiritual qualification. So so this, others had kind of come to the surface and were nourishing people who weren't getting nourished in Iskon and you know, ISKON was creating what they considered their own enemies. By not being able to nourish the devotees sufficiently, and they found nourishment elsewhere. But I felt that there many people were going here and there and initiating people, and and, and that I thought that, that that I wasn't very attracted to that in itself. I, I thought they were, there were so many people doing that. So I, I felt I could make a contribution by writing because I have a certain style and way of thinking about things, and so so. Uh, was Bernadine, of course, you know, there was there, and she she told, she said, you know, Guru Maharaj, you should just get a place, you know, or you can just be with a couple, a few disciples, and write, and make your contribution, and, and and so forth, and we'll support you, and so forth. So, uh, we kind of hatched a different model, hmm? and um, and, I, and I felt that the model was like, you know, people would join, and they weren't monastics, and They'd stay for a short time, and and then they'd leave, and then those who wanted to be monastics, you know, weren't facilitated by that, and it was kind of like nobody was facilitated. So I told people you should have a job, or you should go to school, or you should be a monastic. Hmm? Job and school means you know getting a livelihood. Then you're in a position to have a family and whatever, which is the, what most people do, and and so forth. And anyway, so then I had this idea. To have like a monastery hmm, in a distant, remote place, right from there, have a staff. hmm, And um, I decided I didn't didn't want to initiate anybody. hmm. Other people could do that. I'll just give the siksha, that's according to my realization. But the problem with that is that when you give the siksha, then some people want diksha and they they don't want want to get it anywhere else. (laughs) And so you, you know, you feel obliged to extend yourself to them and then, and, then, uh, and so, um we got this place uh, on borrowed money and we're living in tents here and people started to come, you know, visit and, and so then I thought, well, we'll, you know, you'll, you'll modify, it. we'll expand the the staff a little bit, you know. And uh, we'll have people come at certain times. They can come and spend some time with me, and so forth. And so that's how this, uh, and I would, and I would write. So that's how this this started. And of course, I have a different concept with architecture and uh, and um and a different language, and so forth. And I'm kind of unique in that way, I guess, in the Gaudiya Vaishnav world. and attracts a certain type of people. I had thought I've written books and I want to live in a place that corresponds with the book. So people read the book and they'll come there and go, Oh, this makes sense. He lives here. Hmm. And so that was the idea to try to, to bring those things together. Hmm. And so, you know, it's taken some time because we don't have any resources really other than what comes from my preaching for the most part. And so um gradually developing and so forth and then uh then one day, Rindaranya came to me and said, Guru you should have a place, and I'm thinking in South America, just for the winter, where you can just go and write. And, and so, <laughs> so I said, well, that sounds like a great idea, but you know, I can barely make this place you know, pay for it and so forth. And, and she said, she just kept coming back and showing me pictures on the internet and so forth. And then she showed me, look at this one in Costa Rica. And I had this thing in the back of my mind about Costa Rica that just came to the surface. of oh, I had thought about Costa Rica in the past, about that would be an interesting place to be. and So that just, for some reason, it clicked with me, so I took more interest in what she was showing me, which I had been dismissing, you know, all along, because I thought, well, oh, it's a great idea, you know, kind of, but we don't have any funds. We can hardly staff this place and so forth. So then I looked, and I thought, oh, I saw this one place. And I thought, well, that looks great. That wouldn't be great? To-. So then I was... Stuck. And then Sham Gopal was here said, let's go there, Guru So he flew me and himself and Bryn down there for a week and we met this guy, Colombian guy, with an American wife. And he was... Re- Anybody can be a realtor if they just say I'm a realtor down there. So that's what he was. And 99% of them are going to cheat you, but this guy was honest. So he took us out to this property and one thing led to another and we were just inspired by it. And so we uh It's a long story, but anyway, we, we got the property we came back and told devotees about it and some money was raised that you know, we didn't think we had otherwise, and there we purchased that and so then we had to develop it, so we had to go live in tents there in the rain <laughs> and then this season and so forth and whatever. but gradually you know it''s it's, it's developed into a into a livable, visitable, worshipable place very nice and um and more than just a place for me to write in you know in the in the, in the winter season um, and and that was when we went there bringing around you quickly turned into something more than just a writing retreat you know we can have a yoga retreat here, it should be over here, and you know this will be the economy, and she had all these ideas and and so forth, and so we <laughs> You know, we, we started developing, and now it's still developing. And then um, I had been going to, to North Carolina on the invitation of Karnamrit in and City. They had to request me many times before I was willing to go. So finally I went by the force of their affection, and then I would go a couple times a year. And I said to them, you know, if you want to do something here, you should do it in Nashville. We should have a group. Because a group started to form around my... Preaching and so forth. I said, you yeah, get together and live, live together in proximity, you know, and, cause you go to the, it was all on the eastern seaboard, so I said, you go to the western side, which is, was always a place that I liked, western North Carolina, it's a beautiful place, Asheville, it just had a thing for it, you know, in my, in my head. So, uh, I suggested it several times, nobody listened to me, and, uh, <laughs> eventually, I just keep bringing it up, eventually it gets started to catch on, and, and then, um, then in Dulal Chandra and, and Bhakti Rasa, they said, "Let's, you know, find a place." I said, "Okay, we find one. We have no money, but let's go find one." And so, they brought me out there, and we looked at some places. And I said to myself that I have no money. I'm completely taxed, you know, trying to mm-hmm. um, establish these two missions, Madhavan and and uh, Audarya. And so I'm completely um, in the great space for looking at property, because I don't have any necessity that's really overwhelming. And, but I, I like to look at properties and think have ideas and so forth. So, so I said to myself, if, if I'm not going to budge and make any effort in this, unless I see a place that I just know that, uh-oh, Krishna brought me here he wants me in this place without a doubt and so that's what happened we walked on we were shown a property nearby and it was interesting hmm, things we'd seen but then across the street there was this further forest and I said what about all that back there so the guy looked at up and said, "Actually, it's part of this property. It's the same owner and they're willing to sell that too." I said, "Well, let's see it." You know, and then when, when we, it was like within 30 seconds of walking on the property, I knew this is this is very special. And the other devotees kind of like caught my, you know, enthusiasm was contagious. So there we were. We had to have the property and when we within a month or so the money came out of nowhere. So we're able to get the properties as far as developing it <laughs> takes a little more time. So we have these three projects and then that project was a different idea because I had been going there visiting the community of devotees and we developed a community of faith and and so forth, and mostly householders and so I thought this could be a place we could have a big enough, we could have a monastery, we could have a yoga retreat, there could be an economy for the place, and we could have householders on the property in certain sections in the surrounding areas is affordable and so forth, so it's a great place for a whole um, community where it just doesn't facilitate a whole community. You can't live nearby here and very well and have an income and the cost of living is or buying property or even renting is, is considerably more than North Carolina and Costa Rica is well, it's another country, you know, you need a visa and you can't work there and so forth. So that ended up serving as like a like a retreat, hmm? Uh site, and this is, Adari is what it is. It's kind of like you know, a home for me. And then Saragrahi is bigger project where whatever we do here, whatever we do at Madhavan can also be done there, and something more as well. And so in all of this, of course, this is my brief answer to your question, but it's hard. Uh, in all of this, as I mentioned earlier, I have the outreach side from Prabhupada and the introverted side from Sridhar Marsh. And so, you know, with regard to the outreach side, I came to be doing this for a reason. And I think it's a good reason. And so I wanted to um, demonstrate a, kind of an alternative hmm, to the current fair of what... Uh, Godi Vaishnavism is about and how it plays out and so forth. Hmm? An alternative. Shita Maharaj asked me to do relief work, to help devotees. Hmm? And so I wanted to create an alternative and, and I, Prabhupada was very fond of seeing nice projects in America and the project of his had turned into some, morphed into something else, largely to, uh, ministering to the ethnic Hindu communities. Hmm? Not being vital Places where American people were place of ideas and they were coming and getting inspired. It didn't, well, uh, wasn't just, that's what it was, it used to be like. So, so, um, you know, I've written a number of books and, and, and so on. So I wanted to establish a, a community there that would be a good example. And, um, and even know my personality and sensibilities, my mm, philosophical, my tendencies, the way I speak and write, and my aesthetic sensibilities here, you can see, um, it's all part of mm, 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 having gone within and come out to do to, to outreach in a way that I think is contemporary and makes sense. In our times, hmm? everything about this this place this is, for example, hmm? this is more developed than our other two places. The, the architecture, the the food growing, the dairies, uh, the, the way in which we conduct our programs, and the way I interact with my disciples um, that is uh, it's very different hmm? than you will find in other Gaudiya groups, and there's, all, there's reasons for it all. Mm. Um, it's, it's all about making a presentation that, that makes sense in our time. There's so many factors that, are, uh, that have in, in, informed mm, the way I do everything, mm, which makes it attractive. Mm. One of my Godbrothers came here. He's a guru in ISKCON some years ago. We didn't even have the temple up yet, and he said, you know, I have to admit, if I was a young man and I wanted to become a monk, there's not one Iskon temple, not to harp on that group, but he just said this, and he's from that group, that I would feel comfortable joining as a monastic, but I could join here. Hmm? So, it's a, that's a, kind of an example, a monastery, where there are monks living in the forest, and they have their cottage industry of the dairy, whole milk, and they publish books, and they grow food, and they they they're, they're vital in terms of their thinking it's not like an Amish community that's out of touch they use modern technology at the same time and they they're part of the world of ideas uh, and have something to say about the nature of being consciousness and so forth and so it's a whole kind of package and one that is that seeks to be have a more integrated type of um, Relationship with, for example, in this country, the American public, rather than an insular uh, type of relationship, or us and, and, and them, which is more. Let's um, you know, let's what the Goswamis had, what the, the what Bhakti you know, situation was like. Hmm? He was you know if there were talking heads on the TV in those days, Buck, even would have been interviewed at times you know and he was part of the thinking of the world hmm? so you need to more integrate it you need to be able to it's a it's it's a very alternative America I seek to be integrated to some extent with alternative America alternative ideas hmm? and that's also so that the devotees can can feel that they're part of a world that's supportive he, the more the non-alternative side of America is, is not supportive
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know you can dress like this in alternative America and and be appreciated mm-hmm. so I want to integrate with that sector of the society that's why I'm, I have certain language that I use and so forth and, um, and so and of course I'm from alternative America I'm very alternative person I identify with those ideas and, and, and so forth all well, which were percolating you know and, in the 60s, and, and uh, many of those ideas are also very Gandhian, which Prabhupada identified with and environmental sensibilities and so forth. And, and so, um, I mean, I don't know. There are other groups that are different, but um, you know, when I was in Prabhupada, they tended to dismiss alternative America and and reach to to, to the larger section of Kmart shoppers and and stuff like that, which, Also, tends to bring down the level of the of the discussion to a lower level. Hmm? Whereas, if you go to alternative America, you have people who are familiar with Eastern philosophy and different strains of it, and you can't just do this preach to the choir type of answers. You know, like you're not the body, and Mm -hmm. you're not God, right? Therefore, the way to Vedanta is is meaningless. You know, it's just not going to work to somebody that's, you know involved in the way to Vedanta for neo Advaitinism or pseudo Advaitinism for, you know, they go on for decades. And for, you have to understand those teachings in their set of mind and find common ground with them and then showcase the difference of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a non-confrontational way but, you know, but clearly make the point there's a difference here and take it or leave it. It's up to you but it's pretty charming. Hmm. So that's kind of what I'm like. That's what we 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 we're doing, and uh, so we'd like to develop these communities according to their what they what they um, facilitate. This has certain limitations given its its location and size and so forth. And uh, you know, along with that, I have some ideas having some center in 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 some cities that are related to these um, rural areas that can be a kind of a satellite to inform people about them. And and uh, you know I'd like to create a number of such uh, communities. It's a reinvention, reincarnation of the Krishna consciousness, Godiva-Vaishnavism in the Western world. I'm very different, and sensibilities are very different. And uh, as I say, they're all for, for well-thought-out reasons in relation to not only the public, but also in relation to the condition of the devotees, what they've been taught. So many devotees have like a dogmatic ideas that 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 they, they end up being personification of niyamagraha, where you know they follow the rule, they don't know the meaning behind it, and so forth. So I seek to kind of shake that up a little bit, so you rethink it and use different language. There's a reason for that. And so forth. so does that help? That's kind of what we're doing. In, in brief, so I'd like to see this nicely staffed with very good, submissive, humble Vaishnava, Vaishnavis and, and um, who are also psychologically balanced enough to be in a situation, to live in a group situation, I understand what that means, and and flourish in it, and and, uh, and by that example and encourage others and so forth. So we're working on it. We need fifty monks. So, <laughs> you know, monastics I should say so we've got some work to do 50 monks and we'll have a large congregation and the relationship between the monastics and the congregations it's very important to establish so so you know, does that help so just outline, really. It's so, all right with that. I think we should stop for the evening. What time is it? Okay. Svi svi gornetanam daki dai, gorn bhaktavrin Ki ja.